If you have a Bible please, with you, please turn to our gospel passage, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Matthew chapter 12, 46 through 50. And let me remind you um, that Keith and Wilson have spent the summer preaching through Matthew chapters 11 and 12. And today we come to the very last section of, of, that, of those, both of those chapters. And the passage that Martin just read to us, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, I want to show you how this passage this morning is a fitting conclusion to all of chapter 11 and 12. Back in the middle of June, when Keith kicked off the series, remember it all started with a question. John the Baptist was in prison and he, asked, he sent his, some of his friends to ask Jesus this. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse two. Now when John had heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? You see, John believed a story about the world. He believed that this world, this universe, it had a beginning. That there is a God who created the world and his name wasn't Zeus or Marduk or Baal or any of the other gods on offer at the time that the God who created the world was named Yahweh. And in eons past, by his mighty power and out of his love, he created the world, that he was the one true God, the most powerful God of all the gods. And this God that John believed in, he was full of delight and joy. You can see this at sunset when it gets that magical blue hue to the light. You can see it in the forest when you go on a hike and there's not a single tree that's a copy of another tree. You can feel a sense of the creator's power if you go to the ocean and you feel its strength. You can sense his faithfulness in the faithfulness of the sunrise day after day after day. John believed that all of these things were showing him qualities of the one true God, the creator, and that this world that God made was good, but something had happened to it. It had broken. Humans, the one creature that's different from all the other creatures, different in power, different in responsibility, different in our capacities. At some point along the way, humans who were lovingly created by Yahweh, bearing his image, carrying his responsibility to steward the world, humans at some point turned on God. And in their rebellion, a strange thing occurred. This darkness, this stain, this corruption began to ooze its way through all of creation. And that we, John believed in his day, that we could see the brokenness everywhere. We can see it in ourselves, once shining with the full glory of the creator's image and the deep dignity of his purpose. Humans have diminished into a shadow of what we were made to be. We, we see this in our own etern, internal brokenness and restlessness and the ways our minds and bodies can turn against us and rob us of rest and peace. 
And we can see this brokenness that fanned out through the world. We can see it in our relationships with others. Once a source of freedom and mutual delight, relationships now can be a source of suffering and violence and shame and betrayal and fear. And he believed that we could see this brokenness in this world, this beautiful creation once promised so full of fruitfulness. But look at it now. He would, he would have found words like, it's groaning now. It's groaning under the curse of exploitation and futility. And then there's our relationship with the creator, with Yahweh himself. We forget our creator, don't we? We go whole days and stretches and seasons of life where we live as if there is not a God who knows us and loves us and created us and is attentively caring for us. This is the story of the world that John believed that drove his question that when humans gave their highest loyalty and their deepest love to something other than the creator, the beauty and the joy and the peace of this world and our lives and our lives in the world, it was fractured. But he did not believe that was in the, the end of the story. He believed that this creator God who is the greatest of all the gods, he did not give up on the world. He did not give up on his precious creation. The creator who is so full of love, who created the world out of his love, who is so faithful and so powerful. John believed that he launched a plan to get the whole creation, humans and nature and culture, to get everything back on track, back into a state of enduring joy, of ever-present beauty, of delight and justice and peace. One of John's ancestors who believed the same story of the world, he spoke of a time when the creator would conquer the ooze, would conquer the darkness. And, and when he did that, there would come a day, this ancestor said, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like waters cover the sea. In other words, there will come a day when the world as we know it, with all of its frustrations and sadnesses, its wars and its greed, that that will no longer be the case. Another of John's ancestors said, and I love this one so much, that when God does this, when he, when he gets everything back on track, every person will sit under his own vine and under his fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. This is a mind-bending vision. It's a picture of deep, bone-satisfying sufficiency instead of excess. Instead of an ever-increasing standard of living that keeps outpacing you. It's a picture of economic security. Everyone has a stake in the production side of the, the economy. This is peace. This is flourishing. There's joy. There's room at the end of the day to sit under your own business, your own roof, your own accomplishments, and it's enough. And that's the case for everybody. 
This is the story of the world that John believed. This is what he believed about how it started, what it was, and where it's headed. And he believed our Old Testament reading this morning that a key part of this story was Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, when the creator, in order to get the world to health, made a promise to a particular Middle Eastern man and his family. To Abraham, a promise, but really more than a promise. The one true God, the all-powerful creator of the cosmos, Yahweh himself entered into a personal relationship with Abraham, an unbreakable covenant. And God committed himself to Abraham to make Abraham into a family, into a nation that would steward God's goodness and kindness and beauty to the whole world. A nation that would exist in relationship with God for the sake of the healing of the world. And then as the years and the decades and the centuries and the millennia go by, we see God in action. We see him being creative, being patient, being loving, being faithful. We see in the way he interacts with Abraham and his offspring. Watch the creator in action. He is powerful. He delivers the nation of Israel from slavery to the most powerful nation on the earth, to Egypt. And and he does this by defeating Egypt's gods. He's merciful. He forgives sin. He keeps his promises. He's attentive. He's, He's present among his people, but they fall back into the old ways, rebelling, giving their loyalty and their love away to other things. They choose lesser things to love with their deepest loves. And they are disordered in their ability to care and they're infected with the darkness. They turn in on themselves. Their nation turns into tribalism. Me and my kind against you and your kind. But Yahweh, there he is, proving so faithful all along the way, so creative. He promises them he's gonna get them out of the pickle. And the way he's gonna do it is by sending a Messiah a special one, a chosen one who will be his own son to deliver Abraham's family from the darkness that's inside of them, that keeps them in bondage and in selfishness, that keeps infecting them with diseases and conflict and restlessness and death. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verse two, when John is sitting in prison and he hears what Jesus is up to and he sends words by his disciple and he says, are you that one? Has that part of the story finally arrived? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus' answer, I loved how Keith opened this whole passage up back to us in June. Jesus' answer in Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, it says, just watch what I'm doing. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He said, yes, it's happening right here, right now in me. The healing of the world is occurring. In other words, John, the story you believe about the world, it's different than the story the Romans tell. It's different than the story the Greeks tell. The story you believe That's the true story, and it's happening. And the promise embedded in that story that Yahweh is the creator, that he's all-powerful, all-loving, faithful, and he keeps his word, and that big, long promise, it's come true. 
I'm here. Just look at what I'm doing. Every village I roll up into, new creation, healing of creation, diseases taken away, death, they can hear again, blind, they can see again, dead people raised up to life, nature when it gets all tizzied up in a storm, calms down. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived. And throughout the rest of chapters 11 and 12, we've seen this summer that Jesus is teaching what it's like when you join that kingdom, when you get in on that action. This, this kingdom that the one true God, the creator, is renewing the world and healing the world and restoring the world, that all the old promises are coming true. And I loved in Wilson's sermon on Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30, that Jesus conquers the darkness of tiredness and restlessness, and that people who come into the kingdom of God, Jesus gives them a deep rest that the kingdom of God on earth is a place where we can bring our burdens and our anxieties and our fears and our needs. We can take them to the king. That Jesus is the king in our midst. And if we come to him, he offers us a way of doing life in partnership with the king. That he'll shoulder the heavy yoke of living. And he offers us gentleness. Ah. I need that. I feel like two steps toward gentleness, one step back. Watching the news, step back. <laughs> right? I feel like I live in a culture that shapes me away from gentleness. But Jesus says, hey, come into my kingdom and you'll join a culture that bends you toward gentleness. I mean, who doesn't want in on this action? This is the gospel. This is the news that's so good that in Jesus, God's kingdom has arrived. In Jesus, God is taking back control of this good but broken creation, which because of human idolatry has fallen into the shadow. In Jesus, God is restoring the whole creation in every way. This is what John was asking. Are you the one? And Jesus says, yes, I am. The time has finally come. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, while Jesus is, is teaching, suddenly in the middle of his teaching about all of this, notice what happens. While he's still speaking to the people about the story, about how it's coming true, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And this is a very interesting thing, by the way. Just let me nerd out on you for a minute. For nothing to do with the sermon, but it's pretty cool. There's two big verbs in this paragraph that are both at the cross. One is his mother is steadfastly standing by. And the other is he stretched out his arm. Both on the cross and in this passage, the same action takes place. And he stretched out his hand, to, like I said, that doesn't really fit in the sermon, but isn't that cool? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You want in on this action? You want this gentleness? You want this rest? 
You want this old, tired, evil-infested world to have a future? You want there to be an end to the greed and the selfishness and the loneliness and the restlessness? Here's the door. He's showing us that there's a door that we can get in. We can be a part of the healing of all things. We can experience it in our own life. Look, what, what he says here is the door, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. The will of God. What is it? Well, what is it in this passage? The will of God is to do precisely what we see Jesus' disciples doing here. Sitting in a circle around Jesus, listening to his words. Allowing the seed of God's word to humbly be implanted into our hearts. Look, what Jesus does here, he points to his disciples in a prefigurement of his own crucifixion. And he says, behold, my mother and my brother, my siblings. It's as if he's saying, by being here with me right now, intent on my words, eager to learn the true story of the world, eager to see the world through the lens of this story, eager to believe this is the story of the world, not what the news cycle tells me, not what the university tells me, not what my friends and media tell me. This is the story of the world, eager to learn it and to see the world and eager to change our lives to live by that story. This is what it means to do the will of my heavenly father through your listening to me with your whole heart and soul. My father is becoming your father as well. Such a beautiful story. This healing of the world by the creator, taking on flesh, coming among us, teaching us, taking on himself all the death and the evil and sin and injustice and chaos and darkness. And it kills him. Like it kills us. It killed him. But he rose from the dead in victory because he was the greater one. He had already proven he can defeat the gods. He had already proven he can defeat the darkness. And now he does it in the most amazing way of all. And in doing that, he opens a portal into the new creation. And he invites us to become family. But to accept the invitation, we have to turn to him in faith. And by faith, we have to give him our highest loyalty, even more than our loyalty to our families. And we have to give him our deepest love, even more than we love children, spouses, moms, siblings. Dang. Right, that's hard, isn't it? It was really hard when he said this. Because the Greco-Roman culture, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jewish culture, all three cultures, had made family loyalty the highest loyalty. They were cultures that had made idols out of the family. And so when Jesus spoke these words, he picked the very thing that they had been taught from day one was most sacred. And he said, you have to be more loyal to me than even that. Every culture has a thing. 
Every culture has something that deep in your bones, the virtuous person gives their highest loyalty to. Every culture has a thing that being loyal to that is the way to be true to yourself. And Jesus gets to the end of these two chapters where he's given this amazing vision of this kingdom we all want in on. The stuff of our deepest dreams. The primal collective human awareness of the way things ought to be. And then he gets to the end of that whole section and says, here's the door. I wonder what is it for you if you were there, he would have picked. Because maybe family's not an idol to you. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It is to me. And I didn't know that until about four years ago when I was driving across town with one of my children. And we were talking um, about choices in life. And I, um, I was talking about a particular choice available to, to my daughter and was talking about how this is, you know, what God would call us to. And my daughter gave me next to my salvation, next to Janelle, I guess the third greatest gift I've ever been given in life. She said to me, but I don't know if I want to be a Christian. So we were right over by the chop house. I still remember I pulled into the parking lot and I thought I was going to vomit. I didn't see it coming. I think it probably hit me the way these words hit them. I had never imagined that my children would not be Christians. I just hadn't even thought about it. It, it was such a background default view of mine that I hadn't even thought about it. I thought I was gonna throw up, I had to stop driving. And over the next several years, time and time again, I faced the choice Will I still be a Christian if my children walk away from Christianity? Will I follow them? And then I realized, what if my own wife decides this isn't true? Now look, some of you faced this decision in your lives way before you were, you know, 28 like me at the time. <laughs> But I never faced this. My grandparents are Christians, my uncles, my brothers, my cousins, my sister, my whole family, both sides, all the way back, all the way out. And for the first time in my life, I had to face this question for real. If my wife and my children and my friends and everybody said, yep, that's a bunch of baloney. And so my daughter gave me this incredible gift to declare once again my allegiance to the king. I will. He has won my heart. He has won my loyalty. I believe this is the true story of the world. I believe this is truer than every other story. And it was hard for years. And I think that the family is an idol in America today. And I think that people are leaving Christianity in droves 
because Christianity requires of them a love that doesn't go along with their friends and their colleagues and their workmates. It would be a horror story if the one to which we pledge our loyalty was not loving and kind and all-powerful and compassionate and faithful and good and didn't offer us in return for what you can never outgive God. You can't. You can't give. That's what he's saying in this passage. He's saying to come into the kingdom, you have to for just a minute see the world clear and see that the problem with the world is when we stop loving God the most and the entrance into the kingdom is when we declare to the king our total loyalty, our deepest love, and no matter what, we go with Jesus. This is the gospel. This really is the good news. This is the true story of the world, where it came from, where it is, and where it's heading. What is the story of the world that you believe? At the beginning of Mark's gospel, we're told, now after Jesus was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. What does it mean? It means stop believing and acting like the other stories are true. Start believing and acting like this story is the true story of the world. If this is something you're interested in talking about, please reach out to a Christian you know, a neighbor, a friend, a relative, reach out to one of the pastors here. If God has done what the story of the Bible says he's done, then there is nothing that you can do that is more truly human than to give him your deepest loyalty, your deepest love, whether you feel it or not. And then to ask, how can I honor and bring glory to such a gracious and powerful and creative and faithful and loving God? And like Abraham shows us, it's worth it. There is nothing you can leave behind. No land, no people, nothing. That is too much to join in with the kingdom of God. Let's pray.